gentlemen, welcome to another episode of The 1099. As always, I'm your host, Joseph Noop, and I hope everyone has been staying safe and healthy. Odds are, by the time you listen to this, I have already started or maybe even finished moving to the San Francisco Bay Area. So very excited for that. Uh, You know, feel free to check up with me on Twitter about that. And, you know, aside from personal stuff, in this line of work, I am constantly surprised at how many wonderful, ridiculously, ludicrously talented people I meet. And that goes way beyond who you'd usually think when we say, like, game developers. PR reps are, of course, an integral part of that process. And I've gotten to know countless of those folks over the years. And it goes without saying that as much as games media has changed over the years, the broader world of the games industry and game PR has also changed equally drastically. And perhaps none of these folks that I know have had quite as interesting a career as one Stephanie Tinsley. How are you doing, Stephanie? I'm great. I'm awesome. Just living that quarantine life. Exactly. It's uh, <laughs> it's a it's a good time to be part of a career where like 95% of your day is spent in an email box, you know? It's not uh, bad. I, I, not, I, I do joke. Yeah, I do joke that it... It's, you know, oh, it's going great over here. I've been locked in my house. But we in games have it way better than so many other industries. So I should shut my mouth and just be humble and grateful for the fact that everyone's inside playing video games right now. No, yeah. I, uh, it, it, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> I, I haven't said anything publicly, but the, it's afforded me a few opportunities that's like, well, this could be a lot worse. So I guess I'll, I'll try to be grateful. But totally. we're here, we're here today, you know, you, we became friends through, gosh, I don't even know how we originally like really met. I guess we just like had to have bumped into each other at uh, a game preview or like emailing each other or Twitter, of course. Right. Yeah. And yeah, Twitter, I think. And uh, I, I've, of course, like, you know, talked to you a million times over f- talking about like, you know, hey, can you put me in contact with this game developer? Like, can I be, you know, come to this preview at E3, right. blah, blah, blah. And you're just one of those really nice people who's just fun to get to know through Twitter and social media and and seeing at a, a event. And of course, you know, you, you invited me out for uh, breakfast one day at the Game Developers Conference probably like two years ago, I think. I think so. And uh, uh, it was just like one of the best conferences. We, we ended up talking about tentacle porn, which I was immediately. like, this is um, like, like, imme- like immediately. Like we just opened yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, I knew, like, this is a person who I have to treasure and hold dear <laughs> for the rest of my life. Uh, and, and of course, you know, we, we've gone on to, uh, you, you had breakfast with uh, my partner Aiden and I and right. uh, the wonderful Mr. Aaron Garst. Yes. And uh, every once in a while, you'll share, like, a part of your life uh, and a part of your career uh, either like directly to me or on Twitter, and I'll just think, God damn it, that is a, an amazing story uh, about like just how how crazy the world of like media can be in mm-hmm. some ways, but also just maybe some of the things that you yourself got up to. Uh, uh, we will dive into it, I'm sure, but you were, <laughs> were a former DJ at one right. point, and I, I think that this kind of conversation can be really fun to to explore through one to reflect on how things have kind of changed in that realm uh it's it's not really a thing a lot of people think about until they need pr in their life you know and then it's right. a it's a wild it's a wild game of like who do i talk to 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 get in touch with the uh, you know, this or that developer, and you begin to develop relationships with those people, and 
you begin to better understand their job. And I, I just want to know so much more about you and that career and what that life has been like for you, because I'm sure there have been a ton of fascinating lessons and life experiences. So we are we are going to dive into that, folks. So strap <laughs> on tight. So I, I guess we'll lead off with uh, was was PR something you always wanted to do or was that like I. You, you had some choice words in an email for me, I think, uh, that, no, that no is not. But I, I am curious, like, how, how does someone like yourself uh, fall into games PR? Well, Joe, it was all a very well-designed strategy from very early in my life to mm -hmm. avoid any math classes in college whatsoever. Hmm. Um, that is actually how I ended up in, in, in PR and getting my, my degree in communications from Chapman was, uh, I, I, I got into Chapman before I knew what I wanted to do. Um, but like so many people had been told that I was not good at math. Um, and I just, I, that I just, I didn't like it. Um, I didn't have a lot of help, um, that I, I feared it by the time I had reached a call, uh, reached, right reached there college. With you. Yeah. And, and I, I remember my dad um, just talking to me about it and, and, and he kind of knew I was a little clueless and, and I knew about this sort of nebulous thing called marketing and, um, and, and I had had success in jobs, summer jobs um, outside of high school and, and college that um, where I interacted with people a lot. And, and it seemed, seemed to come very easily to me to, 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 just chat with people, chit chat with people. And, um, and I, so he, my, my dad actually ended up getting me on the phone with, I believe it was at the time, oh God, the vice president of marketing for Domain Shindon in Napa Valley. And I was I've been born and raised in Napa Valley. And, um, and this guy, I can't even remember his name at this point, but he was gracious enough to get on the phone with me and just kind of talk to this sort of student um, as a favor yeah. to, to, you know, my dad and, um, just tell me a little bit about his role and, and what my options were and what my strengths were. And he said, you know, I, I think that public relations would be an excellent degree for you since, since Chapman offers, a, has a really strong communications program. And so that's, it, it really was just the, the prodding of a stranger that sort of pointed me to this weird sounding job. And, and I looked at the course curriculum and I was like, great, no math, I'm in. Um, and honestly, that is, that is sort of how I got pointed in that direction. It was someone... Um, older and wiser, sort of just taking me by the shoulders, pointing me in a direction and, and, and pushing me to, to, to do it. It's crazy to think about how so much of a life can be like initiated because of those fortuitous meetings from someone who's just kind of been around the bends uh, a, a little bit mm -hmm. before you. I, I tell this story before, but uh, Charlie Hall from Polygon, mm -hmm. uh, I, I already knew I wanted to do games media stuff, and I had been working towards that with a few friends at college, but we really, uh, he, he said, like, hey, we, we went to a, a, like, how to break in the games journalism panel, and I thought, like, oh, I'll just, this is more like a networking opportunity, like, I know how to break into this, I've, I've done that research. And it was him and like Patrick Klepek and a couple other like Chicago area freelancers. And the the best bit of advice he gave us was like, hey, don't go to E3 for your first thing. Like, that's cool. But like, you, know, you <laughs> won't get it. You, you won't get into the, the big things like right away. Uh, go to GDC and the Game Developers Conference. And I think he was right. I mean, we, we, we ended up going that following March uh, for 2015. And 
uh, I think that's like what really opened up a window into a, a different realm of like mm -hmm. you know, talking to game developers more directly, getting to know their passions and like who they are as people, as opposed to like, hey, here's this trailer for you know mm -hmm. uh, uh, Doom or whatever. Everyone shuffle into this behind closed doors theater. Yes, and yeah. and watch a presentation from an awkward uh, uh, producer or right. whatever, but <laughs> who's not so, allowed to answer any questions whatsoever. So paint paint a little bit of a timeline for me here because it, it is weird to think about, you know, you're probably 18 to your early 20s going to college uh, for communication stuff. And at some point, at some, at some point in this life, you end up becoming like a DJ and playing at like West Hollywood clubs. Yeah. And there's, all, there's always just, you, you, you mentioned earlier before we started recording that, you know, you were going through photos and whatnot and just kind of reflecting on how, so much of this feels like a different life. Totally. Uh, where where does that line up with uh, going to school and learning communications? Was was DJing kind of the like passion side gig for you? Totally. Yeah. So, oh my God. So I I so Chapman University is in Orange County, California, which a lot of people think of California and they think like oh surfers and the beach and LA. Mm -hmm. But there's this whole huge county just south of LA called um, Orange County. And man, it sucks down there if you're like, if you're, you know, it's, 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 oh God, when did I, it was the late nineties, not to date myself. Um, and every, I mean, everything down there is just like, everyone's rich. Like I wasn't, I'm not like, I didn't, wasn't, wasn't raised like rich. Like I'm from the Napa Valley, but like we weren't wealthy by any means. Like it's not like Falcon mm. Crest. Like I'm not like wandering around in my vineyard holding a glass of wine. Stephanie and Tinsley, a, the fourth. Yeah. yeah, totally. Right. Um, Everyone's everyone drives a BMW. Um, everyone was like super pretty, super tan. Um, plastic surgery is just like something you do on the weekends. Like it's such a trip. So, but like I loved it. I loved it. I was so into like palm trees and the beach. And even though I'm from California, I'm from Northern California, which is very different. And um, so I just loved the whole image, like that you know Quicksilver Hurley Volcom like. I don't know. It's just, I went to school with like every Chad in the entire world and, um, <laughs> totally. And, and I, I loved my school. Like I loved Chapman and I had friends there from high school. So that, that helped a lot. And, and I had a really good time and, um, uh, and this, the, the course curriculum was like amazing. And, and I'm a, you know, it's, it's a course now it's like Chapman. It's like this big prestigious school now, but I guarantee you back then they were taking everybody. Um, mm. cause I got in. Um, but, uh, but I ended up, I, I did really well in college and, and I, you know, I was, I was definitely getting a top notch education. Um, but I was looking, I still didn't feel fulfilled. I was still very much in the closet. Um, not necessarily like hardcore in the closet, like, like it was, it was ruling my world, but it was definitely not, I mean, this was like a college of 3000 people and I was maybe one of probably five queer kids that like I knew of, but they were, um, it, we weren't definite, we weren't like a community. And in the late nineties, like you still had like, don't ask, don't tell. Like you, you were not like, it, it was not the loving, accepting, um, sort of like, yeah, I'm gay. And like, it's not even a thing anymore. Right. Um, for a mm -hmm. lot of people. I mean, I don't want to blanket that. I mean, it is a thing for a lot of people still, but it, it's, it just, it was a lot different back then. 
So I was still looking for something else and I didn't quite know what that was. And I didn't necessarily want to leave Chapman to go to a bigger school like UCLA or, or UC Santa Barbara, but I didn't necessarily want to stay. And one day I was walking by um, one of the like activity tables that was outside of, you know, whatever hall. And there was a um, study abroad table. And I ended up going to school in England. And this is where I learned to properly party. Um, the parties that I had been to at this point in my life were like either just like every, all the kids in Napa like sitting around drinking beer in your living room watching the ball drop on New Year's or like classic frat party, right? Where like it's just like a DJ and everyone's just getting shit can wasted and doing keg stands and, you know, the chads and the, the Karens are all around you, right? Um, <laughs> so I went to school in England for a while and I was introduced to two things that changed my life forever. Number one was electronic music. Um, clubs to me at this time had just been like, like meat factories where you just like go to just like hook up and it's like hardcore rap music and it's just like a really aggressive atmosphere. Um, mm. I wasn't down with that. I certainly didn't fit into like punk rock shows and I certainly didn't fit in with like, you know, like big, huge boy band festival concerts or like whatever. So like I found EDM and I was like, holy shit, this is the, this is the sound I've been looking for. This is the culture I've been looking for my entire life. Especially like European in that era. Oh my God, totally. Totally. European electro music is like an entirely different breed. (laughs) But in the late nineties, it was like at its zenith, you know? Mm. And, um, and so I, and then the second thing was um, ecstasy. I, I took ecstasy for the first time and it changed my entire life. So kids don't do drugs at home or whatever I'm supposed to say. But like those two factors combined with each other changed my life forever. And all of a sudden I was like, this is what I want to do. Not like ecstasy all the time. I, you know, I only did it a few times <laughs> yeah. in the course of my life. But like that experience in being introduced to EDM, I was just like, I was so in, man. I was like this, I got to learn everything about this music. This is what I want to do. So when I came home... Um, I finished my degree at Chapman and I went out and I got a job, my first PR job and, and everything. But what drove me in my early twenties as many people, um, was my social life and my social life revolved very heavily around being a DJ. My friends were, I had made friends with other DJs. Uh, I had a huge community in Los Angeles of just like other ravers and we were throwing parties and warehouse parties and raves and started DJing clubs, um, and that was it. Like my job existed to afford me the lifestyle to where I could go buy DJ gear and records and play on the weekends. It was very much like a job back then, as it is for a lot of people in the early 20s. I wasn't necessarily thinking career. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just thinking about maximizing the amount of good time I could have when I was not at work. <laughs> so so, re- um, so really using that that PR job as like the like I don't hate this but it's it's more about the like what what amount of privilege is it affording me to totally. go do the things I'm really passionate about. Oh, a hundred percent. And that passion was getting two hundred of my friends together and going and bringing our speaker stack out into the you know Los Angeles National Forest and just playing music all weekend and just being ravers like straight up candy ravers like fat pants, candy bracelets. <laughs> pigtails like the whole thing like quintessential like candy like like late 90s early 2000 mid 2000 candy ravers like straight up it's embarrassing to say but like that was that was it that was my life (laughs) 
<laughs> Sticking on that for a bit, I, I got to ask, you know, what's um, I, I, I've been to my fair share of like I, I'm more of the like kind of punk rock shitty music uh, rock club kind of person sure. less so the the edm uh or electronic uh stuff and i just gotta I, I i have friends who are certainly part of that scene though and would regularly go to things you know more in the mid to late 2000s and whatnot i was still uh, doing it then too so yeah yeah <laughs> uh what what how would you describe like that culture overall um like the kinds of people that that attracts because it it, it is one of those things where like you go to a show and you see this at like metal shows and whatnot too. Uh, there, there's always like a crew of people there who like pull off some wild shenanigans and then like the the sun comes up and they go back to their their day job. You right, know? they put their tie on and go back to work. Totally. Yeah. What 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 was that like? Um, it, it was exactly like that. I mean, there there were times where I was rolling into work and I was coming straight from like you know some all-nighter somewhere. But in your early 20s, like, it doesn't hurt to do that. Like, you can super do it and, and be functional at work the next day. I still took my job very seriously. Um, I was desperately scared of, of losing my job. So, you know, you perform well and, and you, you show up, you get it done. But my attention was just so elsewhere. Uh, it, my, my attention now when I leave work is, is very much like still on work around the clock for the most part. Um, I'm in a very different place in my career and I'm in a very different place in my life and I'm responsible for a lot more things. But back then, um, we would, so <laughs> let me, all right, this is a perfect example of one of those crazy, <laughs> crazy stories. So one night I was still living in Orange County. This is right before I think I moved up to, to Hollywood and I was still living in Orange County, but I had just recently graduated college and my girlfriend went out of town for the weekend and I was like, okay, um, I'm going to go up to LA and like me and my buddies, like we're all going to just like, we're going to rage all weekend. Like, like summer's not here. Her name was summer. Summer's not here. We're going to like go, like, we're just going to go out. We're going to party. And, um, and so I showed up in West Hollywood and they're like, Oh, Hey, we're going to go get dinner. And so we went and got dinner at like, um, I don't know, some Mexican food restaurant on, on like, you know, Hollywood Boulevard. And we were texting, we were, we were probably call at that point, we were probably calling and not texting with, um, with like our other posse members, right? And um, and we ended up, the decision was made, much to my, uh, much to my, my dismay, the decision was made that we were gonna go to do karaoke in Burbank. And here I am thinking, it's like, it's like Friday night, like I wanna rage. And I was like, we're going to Burbank? Like Burbank is on the other side of the hill from Hollywood. I didn't, I wasn't that familiar with the LA landscape at that point. So as far as I was concerned, like, Burbank might as well have been Mars. Like, I was like, why are we yeah. going to Burbank? Like, we're in Hollywood. Let's fucking stay at party in Hollywood. Let's go find the party. I was like that little dog in, like, the little, like, the old Tom and Jerry cartoons. It's like, where are we going, Spike? Let's go, Spike. What are we doing, Spike? I must have been so annoying. So we all pile in the car, and I was like, why are we meeting everybody at, at this dumb karaoke place in Burbank? This is this is dumb. But what I didn't know back then is, because I didn't live in L.A. yet, was that we were going to Dimples, which is like this legendary karaoke bar just outside of Universal Studios in, um, in Bur or excuse me, Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank. And it was sort of like a sceney place, but I didn't realize that until, you know, years later when I would tell that story and, and you know, put the context together. It was definitely like a sceney place of like Hollywood people. It was this country bar that had a huge karaoke area and then like a dance floor in the middle and then like booths lining the side of the, the dance floor area. And like we roll up, it's Friday night. I'm thinking we were gonna go like 
you know, see Sasha and Digweed at the Palladium or something that night. But instead, we're at this like shitty karaoke bar in Burbank. And we meet our friends. And I'm happy to see my friends, of course. And I'm like, oh, what's up, you guys? But I'm kind of just like, like I'm low-key disappointed. We mm-hmm. roll in. And I'm hardcore EDM. Like, I'm, like, at this point, I don't even know what's going on in pop music. I don't care what's going on in pop music. I don't even have a television. Like, that, like, I don't have cable. I don't have TV. Like, I'm just so unplugged. I'm so cool at this point, right? <laughs> and um, and we roll into this, this fucking karaoke bar, and Britney Spears is there with yep. her. Yeah, no, because, you know, of course. Um it's and, always a country bar, by the way. It's always well, like the, the, it's like the LA country bars. Though. It's always a country. Yeah, LA country. Yeah. It's like LA country. It's not really country. It's like LA's no, idea no. of anything is sort of like the LA spin on it. So it's just, mm-hmm. it's still, it's just still just like an LA bar. It just has like fucking saddles w- on the wood wall. Wood paneling or, or yeah, something. No, yeah, no, totally. Exactly. It totally had a wood paneling. Um, so we roll in and my friends had the, had two booths. We would roll deep at that point. Like we were like a crew. We had two or three booths on the right side of the the dance floor. And on the other side, there were only two booths. And Brittany and her people had it. Now, when I say Brittany and her people, at this point, she's still pretty young. I'm not even sure she's 21 at this point. And I'm 22, maybe 23. Mm-hmm. And she's with, like, her mom, a couple of her mom's friends. There's, like, one bouncer guy sort of hanging out in the back. And then it, looked, it seemed like she had, like, one or two friends that were more her age with her. They're just having a good time, but everyone in the bar, like you could kind of tell, like low key vibe of like everyone being like, ooh, like you know, Britney Spears is here, and I full on rolled my eyes. I was like, come on, like I <laughs> thought we were gonna go like hang out with like you know DJs and like dance all night, and I got my glow sticks in my pocket, and I'm hanging out at a stupid country karaoke bar, and Britney Spears is here, and I'm just like inside, I'm just I'm crushed. I'm just like, oh man. So what do you do? You get wasted, right? You totally, we just, we just started drinking. And my friends could have given a shit that she was there and her people were, you know, I don't even, I can't even begin to describe it. But because of the fact that you have two crews of people there that now just don't care about whatever else is happening in the bar, we're just getting stupid and we just want to have a good time. Mm. Of course we ended up partying together. So... People are getting up on stage and doing Britney Spears songs. And like, there's like a box of like costume stuff, like wigs and like big sunglasses and dumb, like just dumb karaoke outfits. And at the end of the night, this is, oh my God, I can't believe I'm telling you this story. So at the end of the night, <laughs> this guy gets up and he starts doing um, Bust a Move. By, I think it's MC, what is it? Young MC. And he starts like rapping. He's this guy that looks like he should be in Aerosmith, but he gets up stage, he gets on stage and he starts rapping. And we are just three, everyone's just three sheets to the wind. And everyone starts like grinding on each other, like in like a, like a train kind of like, it was almost like a, like a, um, like a, like a erotic conga line. Kind of. Yeah. But in a dumb drunk way, like in a really dumb drunk way. And I'm just watching all of this happen because my friends are intermingling with her friends and I'm just like, this is the fucking weirdest thing that could have possibly ever happened to me. And now I'm so drunk that I don't even care. Like, I'm actually having a really good time at this point. And I'm watching this kind of, like, weird, grindy conga line, like, go around. And it's just us. Like, no one else from the bar ever joined us for at least the three hours that we were there. And it's the end of the night. This is, like, one of the last songs. 
and the conga line goes by and and Britney Spears is on the end of the conga line and I'm standing there and as the conga line goes by she turns around to me points at her at her ass and goes get on <laughs> so just you have if Britney it. Spears points at her ass and tells you to get on I don't care what your sexuality or gender is like no, you got to yeah. you got to get on right like so prime age for new spears yeah 100 i mean not even at all and so i so of course like so there i was in like a weird freak chain conga line thing to young mc's bust a move literally slapping britney spears on the ass around this karaoke bar and at the end of the night i think i i grabbed her mom and like it was like the house lights came on at the end of the night uh everyone's just sort of like hugging and being like you guys are awesome and i was like I thought tonight was going to suck. I rolled up. You guys were here and I thought it was going to like ruin the night, but you're awesome. You guys are so cool. And they were like, you're awesome. And then like, we just like all high fived each other. And then like, I went home. Like, yeah, it was the, like, and that's like the start, like shit like that just happens to you all the time when you live in Hollywood. So that was sort of like pre like post-college pre me moving to Hollywood, like, entry into like the weird stuff that was going to happen to me in both my career and my personal life with just like very strange celebrity encounters and that kind of stuff just like happens when you live there i don't know so like weird story celebrity segue britney spears told me to get on i had to oblige i don't know it's never going to be a category on jeopardy but now you're stuck with that information it, it might be i mean li- live a live a ludicrous enough life maybe we can convince alex trebek to uh to do that <laughs> you know, and so like it's funny you say, yeah. Of course, uh, crazy encounters or just mishaps through both the personal life stuff and the career stuff. And I was very fascinated to uh, we we discussed before uh, this week um, just some story ideas that we would want to go over. And you mentioned uh, Enron, the the infamous Enron oh, God, of the yeah. Enron scandal. Yes. Which you know, boy, I I I know I was alive for that. I think, uh, but that was that was before like I had any cognizance of of what an Enron scandal might have been. Totally. And w- you were involved. Not with. Uh, w- was, it the, was it was it the? What? Let me back up. Uh, not incri- not Hold on. Here. So how how did the world of Enron become intertwined with your own world? I should wow. say. Wow. Yeah. So this is a this is so this is one of my moments where in your in your very early on in my career I realized um, I was way in over my head. Um, this was one of I, I think it was actually the first um, sort of trade show I did. So my first job out of college and I was hired right out of college was in the world of high tech storage um marketing and public relations i fell asleep saying that so you can imagine (laughs) what my job was like but my job was very much focused on at the time in the in the early 2000s um weathering the dot-com burst and the subsequent aftermath of all of that and enron came very shortly after the actual market downturn um but enron for for those of you at home that, that that aren't aware they were sort of um, the energy sector bellwether, big inflated, bloated company that ended up going down in flames in um, scandal after scandal for like fraud and a whole bunch of other stuff um, in in that sort of tech rat race back back at the in the, the beginning of the technology area era. So my job um, at the time was an account executive at a, at a boutique PR firm 
Um, and we represented uh, storage networking and storage hardware. So like back end of the server, nothing for, nothing front facing or consumer facing. So like the, the back end of big giant server farms, you have to manage all that stuff. You have to manage your, um, your, uh, your entire uh, server network. And there's very large expensive products that will do that for you. It's almost like a server for a server. And then all of the software that comes with that. And our clients happen to be all of the vendors on the, the back of, of those, those networks. God, that sucked to even talk about. Um, <laughs> it was so boring. Um, so my first show was a show called Comdex in Las Vegas. And I went out there um, with my team. And my job um, at the show was to staff. It's not unlike E3. My job was to sort of staff the media appointments that we had made for our clients. Um, and um, at the time, um, that's if anyone can hear that, that's my dog Schroeder in the background. Oh, that's good. Cool. Uh, we, yeah. we, we might say hello to Bella here later. Okay. <laughs> so my first show was Comdex, which was a, a, a high-tech show in Las Vegas. And we were going out there to staff media appointments uh, for one of our clients, a very well-funded startup. Um, I will not say their name. <laughs> They're long gone by now, but... Um, we were meeting with um, technology industry press, technology press in general, just to talk about the the deals that we were putting together, why we were important, you know, the whole branding, positioning, uh, objectives and goals for not only the, the PR team, but but the overall marketing uh, departments for, for these companies and, and, and sales, um, having sales meetings. And it was this, uh, it, it makes... Um, it was it was kind of on the scale of of CES if you've ever been to CES out in Vegas. So it's a it's a big show um, the at the Las Vegas. Consumer electronics show. Yeah, yeah yes. very very general interest for sure. Yes, um, this was very specialized, but still a huge show. Um, so I was sitting in a meeting, and I'm all of 23 years old, and the VP of marketing starts talking about. Uh, fiber, um, the ethernet, ethernet and, and, and fiber channel connectivity and what it's going to do for, um, business networks, uh, or, or in America. And this is sort of, and around the world really. And this is sort of like their, their spiel, right? Well, this guy, um, at, at this point I'm, I'm so young. I just, I'm so green. I'm just sort of sitting there taking notes. I don't really understand the bigger picture of what it is we're talking about or how we're talking about it or who we're even talking to. I didn't really know this particular writer at this particular outlet. And she was very much um, in tune with um, the the industry at the time, even though she was about my age, uh, maybe just a little older. Wow, she was uh, super on the ball as a reporter. <laughs> and turns out... <laughs> This guy starts talking about how Enron has only implemented uh, 12 to 15 percent of the the networks that they have uh, promised to implement around the their uh, business to date. Now, this seems like a small thing, um, mm-hmm. but when you are Enron at the time and some little pissant marketing guy at a tiny startup by comparison to you and Ron, starts talking about some of the things that you have um, not done. Um, 
and, and things that maybe you have publicly said that you have done to, to shareholders and maybe things that you should have done um, because of contractual agreements with the government, maybe. And he goes on the record and publicly states that you have not done those. And then that story blows up. And all of a sudden, every single media outlet in the world is, is calling you to clarify your statements. Um, and the stock price goes way down. And it maybe is part of the larger cascade of problems that Enron was about to start having. <laughs> um, that's not a good thing. Um, so me being me, me being in that meeting and me sitting in that meeting and and sort of not really understanding why he was talking about Enron or or the larger scope of what the effect of that was going to be, um, I would say that was the the moment where I realized that I was really new at at having a, a role like this. Um, I, I was very green and I, I felt very over my head and holy shit, my phone did not stop ringing, I think for about a day and a half. And I'm not kidding, like every few minutes, I feel like mm. someone was reaching out to try to get a hold of us to clarify the statements. And man, my boss wasn't happy. His boss wasn't happy. Um, ultimately he was talking about things that he knew nothing about. And I don't necessarily still to this day, like I don't understand the larger scope of even why or how he knew that, or if they were even working with Enron or anything like that. But, um, that was a moment where I really realized like there were much larger things at play here. And, um, and I was, I was very much in over my head. Yeah. That's <laughs> but, a, it, it's always so fascinating to see when like, it doesn't happen nearly as often, I think, in like the games industry, of course. But there are still moments where like something something got leaked that really, really wasn't supposed to, or like some, or maybe even a, a straight up negative uh, thing has made it to the press that they were hoping wouldn't. And to see a a PR person go from the uh, lovely, cheerful like, "Hey, thanks, uh, yes, I'll buy. We'll forward your questions on. We'll get back to you shortly." Uh, to the like, "Hey, can you hop on a call right now?" Uh, <laughs> The, the like dun 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 moments right. um, that I think a, lo a lot of people working in games media like have to acknowledge is a reality like that can happen uh, but oh you, it happens you hope it all the does. time yeah no it happens all the time and and that just goes to you know a, a lack of inexperience on on several levels uh, myself included but I should not have been the only person staffing in that room it was like my first God I think it was my first two months on the job um, he should not have been. Um, saying anything about Enron. Um, and, and that's where media training comes into play. And it's just really as a, as a company, understanding your messaging and, mm. and knowing, knowing your role is so important um, as a PR person and as um, the PR person that is largely responsible for your, your spokespeople. Um, they need to understand their role. Um, there's been instances in, in the games press, I mean, like weekly, really, where, where someone sort of just just goes just just goes rogue and and starts talking about things that that they really um not that they shouldn't be talking about them but they're they're not understanding the larger complications and and um just what will happen when mm -hmm. you know when and if they they divulge certain things in in a certain context um so being an effective communicator and being an effective pr person 
those things definitely go hand in hand. You you have to know your role as not only as the PR person to shut down an interview if you're if you sense your your speaker is about to start going rogue, um, and and also um, to make sure that they're prepared. Um, if they start answering questions that that they shouldn't be fielding, not because it's super secret information or anything, they're just not the right person to be talking about it. Yeah, you you should uh, they should be trained up to know that they don't have to answer every single question. You're not, you're not expected to be an expert on every single topic in an interview, but so many people sit down in front of a reporter and assume that they have to answer every question, and that's where you get into trouble. You have a lot of executives that feel compelled to to answer questions just based simply on the fact that a reporter has asked it even if they're not the right person to do so mm-hmm. um you never and then want you to get into the tricky territory of like having to issue a correction totally it's oh it's my the same god thing. it's the same thing as like a, and and that also gets the the person from the media a little bit in trouble because it's like well shit i put this information out there because it was from a, a, a basically a, a firsthand source, but, right? Uh, not quite the appropriate firsthand source. Uh, totally, um, and yeah. and this happens a lot. And 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 one of the things, if if there's one thing I've learned in my entire career, is the communication is really hard. Mm. And 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 if you think about any time you've ever tried to de- tried to date someone, uh, <laughs> you know, like it's communication's really hard. Uh, Two, two years long distance and only in, in a week and a half moving in together finally. So I know yeah, no, I'm good I, for you guys. I mean, I'm really, I'm really happy to hear that. I didn't, I didn't actually know that until you mentioned it at the top of the podcast. So that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, let's, let's dive a little further into games media stuff um, sure. because we're, we're, we're starting to get on a roll here. Uh, and you said you could answer this pretty concisely. And I, we talk about um, getting in over your head moments uh, I'm going to ask you a question that leads to a question about E3 2005. But sure. how, so how so you founded Tinsley PR in 2006. Um, that's like basically around the time that like the PlayStation 3 is coming out, mm-hmm. uh, and you're, we're entering a new like HD kind of era of gaming. And uh, I guess one like what made you want to go specifically into that realm, and what was it like to kind of form your own business, and just how how did that all happen? By accident. Um, a happy accident. My my goal was to never set out on my own and own my own business. I just I just wanted a job. I had a skill set, and um, I was clearly having so much fun in high tech PR networking storage. Yeah, um, dealing with international scandals. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean that was just like a one. That was one part of it, but the rest of it was so boring. Like painfully boring that um i sort of started going through like my mid-20s crisis where either my job had to be astoundingly fun or my job had to be remarkably meaningful and where i was it wasn't either so i quit because you can do that when you don't have a lot of responsibility and um i wasn't entirely sure what i was qualified to do outside of pr and communications because that's the only thing i had ever done Um, but in, along that sort of time in between the jobs, um, I had done a, a a variety of different things. I did some event production, um, based solely on my, um, experience throwing raves. So that was a nice little transition into translates one to one. (laughs) Right. Um, uh, yeah. Hijacking warehouses downtown in the middle of the night to throw dance parties, 
um, and then actually parlaying that into producing the Esquire magazine LA Oscar party um, for charity uh, was, you know, that's, I I feel like that was a good transition, right? Um, So that was one of the things I did. And then I had caught on um, with a, uh, a friend of a friend, of a friend of a friend, like honestly, it was a very long chain of people of, of how I met um, uh, these animation folks. But I, I had met these animation folks that were doing trailers for um, video games that were still coming out for the uh, first gen Xbox and, and the PS2. And they want they had they were doing a, a really big um, trailer job. This is back when animation studios would do animated trailers for games rather than because the tools um were very separate at that point the tools for in-game engine stuff you couldn't necessarily capture it and just throw it out on the trailer because the graphics just weren't there so back Mm -hmm. then your trailers still were very much like detailed animated works of fiction largely because you were still working with 32-bit or pixelated um games and and you wanted to communicate the fantasy of what you were playing in the game even when the graphics couldn't match you know what the what the cover art looked like um so they wanted to do they were doing a a trailer for a a game coming out called um dark watch and this was one of the last big games that was going to come out on the original xbox before um the, the next xbox launched i didn't know anything about video games at this point i had grown up playing um, you know, an old 2600 and the, and the NES. But um, by the time the Genesis came out, I, I had sort of moved on and was like super hardcore into sports and had just sort of left video games behind. Um, and it was not for a lack of want or, or any particular reason other than we didn't really necessarily have the money to, to afford these big expensive consoles and games. And I didn't, like, my friends weren't into it. So it wasn't like, but, but my friends were into sports. Um, so anyway... I started doing PR for this animation firm about this trailer and the work they've done on the trailer. So talking to Animation Magazine, talking to game trailers, talking to um, AWN. Um, this is before uh, they were the same thing, Animation Magazine and AWN. Um, and I had gained enough experience um, doing uh, freelance for this particular um, animation firm that I was able to apply for and then land a job at a, again, a boutique PR firm um, that was working directly with Microsoft in conjunction with Edelman, uh, their, their main PR firm. And back then, PR work and media relations was split between online PR, and I'm using my air quotes because we were dealing with blogs. Mm. Um, it wasn't real media. And then Edelman handled the real the, media, the newspapers like the, and the magazines. The, the Anik Cool News kind of era. Oh, yeah. yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so we had, you know, we, I mean, there were hundreds of video game websites that we would work with, not unlike today. And, um, and so that was my first job in games. And um, this particular firm um, was sort of a, a very small farm for very talented people. Um, Tom Oley... Uh, was working with us at the time. Um, Ted Brockwood was working with us at the time. Ken Brown was working with us at the time. And these are all people that have gone on to have incredibly successful careers in video games. Vincent Slavin mm. worked there for a little bit. Um, these are folks with, with I mean, 
just a, a, a wealth of experience and and um, and have done very well for themselves in, in, in and around video games. And Ken works for NVIDIA. Ted's done, I think, Paradox or something like that for a really long time. Tom is, you know, Evolve PR. Um, Vince, Vincent Gearbox forever. Um, anyway, so um, that's how I sort of landed in games. Um, it was... Um, to me at first, it was a job. It was a fun job, but it was just, you know, hey, I got this job and it's a cool job. And within the first few months of me working there was E3 2005, where um, the Xbox 360 was being unveiled for the first time. And being mm-hmm. a part of the Microsoft team um, was was just an absolute trip because it was a world that was opening up before my very eyes of just that I just didn't know was there before. And I just absolutely fell in love with it. And I was like, I want to stay here. I don't want to screw this job up because this is a very cool place to work. It's a very cool industry to work in compared it's to. Kinda, it, it, it's kind of that, that realization I think a lot of people have when they're like, oh, wow, I've, I've been working in games, industry, media, whatever for a while now. And like, here I am watching Xbox, like do this presentation about like games I'm actually excited for, or yeah. like just art. it's art, you know, it's, totally. it's art and it's, it is marketing and it is hype, but there is a, there's a part of that, that, you know, like no one really wants that to go away because uh, it, it's, it feels nice to be excited about something. I, to me, it was magical. Um, yeah. Right up until the moment where I realized that the people on stage for the Xbox um, press conference were not fans they were um they were there this was um okay so in 2005 i hope no one still works there and hears this and is like oh stephanie shouldn't have said that but like so (laughs) it was the xbox 360 right and like jay i think it was jay allen like went up on stage and he was just like super he was like mr cool games guy and he's doing his presentation and like he had this like bleacher like a set of bleacher rows behind him that were filled with people and i thought they had just put fans back there but i slowly started to realize that these people were being paid to sit back there to just to 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 look like fans, and mm-hmm. anytime Jay said something that like was supposed to elicit uh, uh, applause or cheers from the audience, these people were all supposed to stand up and cross their arms to make an X for uh, X. Okay, L- who's cringing right now? Yeah. Who's cringing right now? Like even back then, I was like, oh, that's bad what, what are um, we like forming the mighty morph and power rangers here it, that's like, what it felt on. like that's totally what it felt like and i was like oh man um that is lame um it was it was cr- it was cringy before like anyone was saying cringe i don't even know if people say, still say cringe anymore i don't know i'm oh, an yeah, old totally. um but uh <laughs> but yeah so that was kind of like my first experience with games and then and then eventually uh unfortunately um, around that time, I think, you know, the, 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 the media sphere started to converge where print, there was no real separation between, between print and online. And as a result of that, Edelman sort of swallowed the digital side of, of that PR business. And, and when um, the, our agency lost the, the Microsoft account, I think my, my boss at the time, who was sort of like a drive-by manager, really, um, she would just sort of like, it was a virtual agency, so we were all working from home, um, but she would just sort of cruise into the IM, 
window, tell us a bunch of things we were doing wrong, and then like we wouldn't hear from her for like three days. Um, she was just kind of, she was just kind of over it. I think once she lost Microsoft, I think she just kind of was like, I'm gonna go do something else. She probably made a ton of money. I don't really know, um, but she decided she wanted to go produce movies. So she was going to close the agency. I mean, how nice, right? Like, if I could just one day be like, oh, I'm going to go produce movies. Yeah. Um, I don't know what kind of world that is or, or what kind of money that takes, but it sure seemed like bewildering to me at the time. Um, but she ended up closing her agency. And at the time, we were still working with uh, a couple of uh, clients that I had. And, and by this time, like, Tom was, was with... Um, like Ken had gone to NVIDIA and Ted was long gone and Tom had gone to work with um, CD Projekt. And um, I was kind of like last one standing. Um, and I, I was so bummed because I so desperately did not want this job to end. It was it was such a fun um, job. And I, and I worked so hard at it and I worked such long days, but I didn't care really for the first time in my life. It like work wasn't like a grind. And I, I sort of just waited very patiently for her to tell me that the agency was closing like I could kind of see the writing on the wall but she said hey if you want to continue to work with with the clients that we have like you're welcome to reach out to them and at the time the timing you know the timing was lining up because the clients we were working with at the time was like Atari was one of them they were so cool um they were like hey well we don't even know her like we've met her once like you're the agency yeah. to us so we would love to continue to work with you we're a public the, company the one benefit of being like the actual boot on the ground doing totally yeah. totally so um so that's how tinsley pr for, was formed and and i had to incorporate very very quickly because they were not going to hire me as just sort of an internal person and they certainly weren't going to hire me as a, as a as a contractor because they were a public company uh, there's certain laws and things that you have to, you know, like paperwork and admin that you have to jump through. Um, so they said, if you incorporate, we can just hire you uh, to be our, our agency or, you know, or one of our agencies. And um, and so I jumped at the chance and the next week I called a lawyer and I incorporated and I had to come up with like a, a logo and a website. I still don't have a website. It's been 15 years. I still don't have a website. And, um, but I did come up with a logo. My logo directly ripped off the Atari logo at the time, which was Atari, uh, white text set in a red box, uh, flipped on its side. So I was Tinsley in a blue box with white text flipped on its side. You know, um, it, it, it's funny you mentioned that you don't have a website cause I did Google like Tinsley PR and there is a like tinsleypr.com. Uh, yes. that I was like, is yes. this, and, and I was yes. like, this doesn't look like my Tinsley. No, no. no. They have some, a love. They have a lovely website, don't they? Yeah, they, they have like some weird monotonous. Like we're in the tech industry, and like, <laughs> well, they like, were. I in... don't know some some random shit. But... So we know each other. That's the funniest part about it. So, so Tinsley's a pretty unique name, but I guess there's you know, guess there's another PR firm called Tinsley PR. So mine has the hyphen in it. Yeah, Tinsley-PR.com. But um, over the years, that has actually served me really well because because potential people looking for like. To, to determine if I'm like a legitimate person to work with. They Google it, they see a flashy website and they go, okay, yeah, she's legit. Not yeah. my website, not mine at all. Um, and, and the funniest part about it is that we'll work with uh, like clients like, like MechWarrior 5, for example, Piranha Games. They don't have European representation for PR. So when we've done stuff for MechWarrior in the past, MechWarrior Online and MechWarrior 5, we'll work directly with um, like Polish you know, Schlocknachnian, you know, Eastern European 
counties and countries I've never even heard of. And they'll, they all print magazines over there still for some reason. They'll send us magazines that, and they think they're sending uh, our games coverage in their, you know, like foreign language outlet, you know, to, they'll send it to Tinsley PR. That, I think they're in Texas. And, and those folks at Tinsley PR will email me uh, and, and say, hey, we're, we're FedExing these magazines to you. Yeah. <laughs> and I'll just be like, hey, yo, thank you very much. And, like, I think hey. I've sent them pizza once as, like, uh, a thank you. Yeah. So, like, we know each other, but, um, but there's no crossover there whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. I should probably fix that. I don't know. I, I, I was so like far. this. I, I was like, I should, I should ask them about this and be like, ah, but there's probably no way in hell this is actually uh, the real Tinsley. The, the real Tinsley <laughs> PR website will be like full of, you know, mech warrior shit and yeah, yeah, cool, cooler yeah. things. Little no, DJ it's, turntable it's like, playing. But. No, it's like just like right now, it's just like a crappy landing page that just has like my email address on it. <laughs> it's, so, not, it's really not good. So uh, two, 2006, like it, it's funny because like, there's there's different eras in the games industry and we talk about them in very different tones in a way like i i interviewed um uh like tony hawk and a bunch of the neversoft guys and like that had to have been like the mid to late 90s uh turn of the century and you of course you hear a lot of stories about like how in those days you know but the industry is much more of a boys club it still is but like you know there, there's a, a noticeable difference in everything and and i i considering you came into the industry really roughly around like 2006 uh i, I guess it, it's funny to think that that is now uh 14 yeah 14 years uh re- removed uh from where we are here in 2020 i guess how has the industry changed from that side uh in those years because like it, it's not quite the like 80s and 90s like oh, we're in a garage and we made this like universal hit in like 30 days and never ate. But there's still got to be like a, a pretty significant evolution of the industry from your perspective. How, how have things like changed since you uh, really started digging in? Well, we're cooler now. Gamers. Yeah. Um, we're cooler now. Um, nerd culture has been embraced as uh, sort of the the hipster mainstream sort of you know culture that's that's not you know this answer sucks so far um i think i think that nerd culture has been embraced i mean that's just basically the bottom line um the the glasses wearing computer nerd uh pocket protector antisocial stereotype is such a thing of the past uh, or, or I should say, so much more of a thing of a past. Because there are still people out there that are like, oh, I don't play video games, it's for nerds. Um, okay, Chad. Uh, but, yeah. um, but it's around the late 2000s is when I really started to see that shift and mainstream culture um, starting to embrace nerd culture. And that was not just done via video games. It was done like Marvel uh, the Marvel films that were starting to come out more mm. aggressively. I think there's like 1,200 Marvel movies that come out a year now. Um, Maybe not um, this year, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're all delayed till next year. Um, but that sort of acceptance of technology not necessarily being your enemy, but being part of your everyday life, I, I think helped most. It helped the image of, of people that were deeply ingrained in tech. 
um, where the nerd became cool. And gaming has come such a long way in that regard as well. I remember back in 2005 looking at very long time, long term plans um, for um, for Microsoft, and, and and again, you know, we take twists and turns um, along the way. So I can't claim any relevance uh, to to anything they're doing today. But but back then, their long term goal was to sort of own the living room, and they were competing very much with Sony to do that, and they wanted their box to be the centerpiece of your your living room not your cable box but your your xbox and when you mm-hmm. look at the evolution of of consoles as entertainment you don't have just games on them anymore first you could play music on them then you could watch movies on them uh you know dvd blu-ray and then all of a sudden you could uh you could you could subscribe to netflix via your xbox dashboard and i then still you, remember and, opening yeah. up my my i borrowed my neighbor's xbox to play i think like metal gear solid 2 and he for some reason he had a couple of like flogging molly mp3s downloaded to his system and right. that's how i that's how i got introduced to that and i was like oh wow <laughs> right so that's a that's an evolution that that is is definitely by design the way they've come about it since then and this goes for 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 Microsoft and Sony has has been a little less the the fight with the, the cable companies that I thought it would be. Um, I thought that um, that they would go head to head with like Comcast and 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 Time Warner, but really um, their box has become sort of and this is you know both the console boxes in general have sort of become the 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 the, the catch all for whatever platform of entertainment people want to see. They're not creating the content for you outside of the games their box is really designed to just be that go-to for you no matter what type of entertainment you want to watch mm-hmm. so in in that regard their long-term plans have absolutely come to fruition and um for for me watching the adoption of that from the tech side knowing what i knew back then has has been very cool it's been like a 15-year a unraveling right um but from a cultural standpoint and from an industry standpoint Man, the 2000s were so much fun. Um, there has definitely been a necessary shift away from boys club shenanigans. Um, uh, and, and, and for all good reasons, a shift more toward professionalism and just just respect in, in the workplace for, for everybody. Um, and with that has become uh, largely, I think, driven by social media. But there's been... Uh, uh, just a greater awareness of cultures and types of people outside your own knowledge and your your own group. Um, you know, I I, I, should, I I didn't think to ask previously, and, and feel free to you know stop me in my tracks if you don't want to go there. But uh, your relationship with your wife is uh, really important to you, and you know you've been very open about your sexuality. Uh, ha, ha, have you felt uh, more accepted on that spectrum uh, in, in the industry or was that kind of just not a thing that was ever uh, an issue for you, at least by the time you got into it? This is going to sound crazy, but I've never known it to be an issue. Okay. Um, I, I figured around 2006, maybe it wasn't. It, uh, it just wasn't. Issue, yeah. um, and that still surprises me to this day because I'm, I'm kind of the last generation that, that grew up without the, the internet as a child. And I'm sort of the, 
um, we're, we're sort of the generation that still grew up in the, partly in the eighties that was very much like we were the butt of jokes. Like, you know, you use gay to say like something's lame. And I will Mm -hmm. still say that ironically from time to time in the, in the right company. But I do say like, that's my word. I can say it. Um, but it's like weird to, it's weird to think of like depending on where you live to like that growing up like gay and the the f word was still uh, used pretty liberally um, and I I know in more rural I, I was like south suburbs of Chicago and I know friends who like you know grew up in very rural communities who like that was still like well into to high school and whatnot. Can you not say the f word anymore? Can I not say that? I can say it, right? I'm gay. You, I can yeah, say it. I could probably can, say it, right? You can say whatever you want. Right. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, I didn't I, know. You said F word, and I was like, oh my God. I said, is that verboten now? Like, I didn't, I don't know. Things change so quickly in internet culture. I don't know. To be clear, not talking about the word fuck. You can say fuck. Yeah. <laughs> No, I know yeah. what we're talking about. I know what we're talking it, about. It's one of those things is like, as as the straight white guy in the room, uh, no, totally. I am going I, to... Uh, I appreciate uh, that. No. <laughs> no problem. Um, uh, no, I, it was never an issue. I, I, I have always... Still to this day, I wait for it to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, especially having moved from Los Angeles to Denver last year. I mean, Colorado is a blue state. You know, it's more purple. But... Um, uh, I didn't know how we were going to be received as, as a, as a gay family, uh, moving in. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, I, I have not personally been aware of, uh, it being something that has negatively affected my career. Of course, I've, I've faced adversity in my personal life, of course. Um, but, um, in my career, I have never, uh, it's, it's, I just don't, I, I am not aware of it ever, uh, stopping me from doing something or I, or, you know, it's, I I don't think I've ever been, I mean, I've never been fired yet. Cross my fingers. Um, and I should have been, um, (laughs) but because of, because of me being gay. Um, so yeah, so I, but, but, but talking about my experience, I, I feel almost like a, like a sense of survivor guilt because I do look at other people that have faced adversity, especially men, um, within games, I look at uh, the trans community and the issues that they're that they that they still face today. Um, I am on um, uh, I, I am privileged to be on um, an advisory council that Glad has put together specifically for games and for them to do outreach and advocacy work in within the games industry with publishers to try to um, integrate more diversity. Uh, on every level into games and just help and be and, and and their goal is to be a resource for people that are looking to do that but may not know how to do it correctly mm-hmm. um, or at least not correctly but at least n- non-offensively if that makes any sense or um, inclusively so that, I suppose yeah, yeah there we go yeah um so um those types of initiatives just didn't exist back then um you had a bunch of people that were straight dudes uh, straight white dudes um, making games in in the West um, that were reflective of their own fantasies or their own stories that they wanted to tell, and mm. and you oftentimes as people, I just think we don't. It was never done. I, I from my from my little window, it has never been done with the expressed intent of shutting anyone else out, it was really just, oh, hey, I'm not thinking about it. Um, And I think the thing that I've seen 
improve or progress the most in games and so still such slow going is that people are beginning their project and then thinking outside of themselves for the first time and that's something that is very inspiring to me um, looking at, at the last Assassin's Creed that came out, I, I thought that they did that really well right up till the DLC. I thought they did it really well. Oh, uh, yeah, they kind of um, like wrote that kinda, out. Yeah. Kinda, they fumbled it, but like at the same time, like nothing's ever going to be perfect. You, you're never going to be able to please 100% of the people. And, and mm. even among the, the queer community, like we fight amongst ourselves. We have disagreements over how something should be phrased or included or represented and what's acceptable to me may not be acceptable to a large number of people. Um, a really great example of that is actually a game I worked on called the Red Strings Club. And oh, yeah. in that, in, and so it's a, it's a sort of cyberpunk dystopian future adventure game. Um, and, and the big plot twist at the end is that the password for something is, okay, spoiler alert, um, the password for something is um, one of the characters in the game's dead name. And I did not know until that project what a dead name was. And I didn't know to the varying extent that it would affect certain members of the trans community to find out that that was a uh, mechanic in the game. Now, um, there was a lot of backlash because uh, Waypoint actually tweeted a super inflammatory tweet about like, you don't dead name ever. And then they linked to their review, which was 98% positive. And then Danielle, who's a lovely person, uh, uh, beyond talented writer, um, mm. said, hey, you know, this was the one thing that I didn't like about the game because I've always been told you don't dead name ever. And... That was that was it. It was just like the one or two lines, but then the tweet really just fanned the flames yeah. of controversy, and all of the it felt like all of the, the 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 queer community on Twitter was like, "Oh my god, fuck this game, fuck Devolver, fuck you guys!" And I was like, "Wait a minute!" I left to go to the gym. Reviews were great. I came back from the gym at lunch. Shit had blown up. And I was like, how, hold how on. How quickly those tables turn. How, yeah. how quickly, right? And all of a sudden, everybody's canceled. And I was like, wait a minute. This game was made by three people, all of whom are poly, all of whom are in a relationship with each other. And the person that put that in the game is trans. Yeah. That changes the context a lot. And whether or not, now we're getting into an argument of, well, what is acceptable for the community to do in its own artistic expression? And that's where you get like a ton of the infighting within the queer community. So we set the record straight and said, hold up. This is the context. This is a direct reflection of this person's own experience and their relationship to their dead name. Um, can we all stop gatekeeping queerness because there's no right way to do it. We all have our own coming out stories. We all have our own comfort level. And a lot of that is affected by uh, outside forces, like how we can, we, we all, for the most part, everyone in my generation has had to, to deal with so much self-loathing um, because we were not, we did not grow up in, a, in an era where we were accepted. We did not grow up in an era where we were celebrated. We were, we were supposed to be deeply ashamed of being gay. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I see, oh, I, I, my favorite thing on Twitter especially is when I see dudes, straight dudes that claim to be allies telling 
gay people how to be gay. Please fuck off with right. that. Like, Please stop. Yeah. Can everyone stop doing that? Like as a as the partner of someone who doesn't uh, strictly identify with one uh, or the other gender, uh, it's it's been a learning curve. But it's 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 as easy as saying like, all right, yeah, cool, whatever you totally. whatever you say, you know, totally. <laughs> But there's this just inherent thing of like, well, I'm an ally, so I'm going to stick up for all you guys. And, right. and like there was recently an announcement with Microsoft and they did it in conjunction with GLAAD. They did it in conjunction with GLAAD. And it's a, a story that has, um, I, I can't even remember the details, but I think it has a trans lead. But like the articles that came out of it were like, well, we'll see if they do it right. And I'm just like, holy shit, who are you to tell them Who's doing what right? We can't you know, even decide I, what that is among the queer community. Yes, there are things that there are large, big lines that you shouldn't cross. But like, holy shit. The the fact that so many people in the press who claim to be allies that were already just ready to criticize the shit out of that game right out of the gate, not knowing anything about it, just blew my mind. It absolutely blew my mind. I just think that everyone needs to relax let games come out. And I think, you know, as, as a gay person, I feel like as a lesbian, I can decide for myself if something's going to be offensive to me, like as, as, as a, as a lifelong lesbian, I don't need, I don't need like a straight guy writer telling me that, to come yeah. to your rescue. To, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, yeah. I don't know. I that, just, that, that is where the, the I, I have complicated feelings about what, what many refer to as white knighting, but uh, it, there there are pretty definitive examples of that. I, uh, I'll ask you, anyway. I'll, I'll ask you one follow up question to this yeah. before we sort of transition a little over to uh, some uh, some other highlights and then begin to wrap up. I would yeah. Let me get off know. my gay. Let me get off my no, gay advocacy what, soapbox. Sorry, sorry, sorry. What, okay. Well, right. no, I'm uh, off my soapbox. Fo- following up on that <laughs> is though is because we talked earlier about um, making sure that the people you're working with as a PR rep uh, know what to say and know like whether or not they're the right person to say it. And like I've been in those kinds of interview, interviews before where you know the, the PR rep is sitting down right beside me, and if I uh, ask a question about like, oh, sorry, we're not talking about that quite yet. You know, I, it, it's a very standard thing. So when something like that happens, when when the press reaction or just the public Twittery reaction begins to sour and you're like, whoa, whoa I, I, this is not how this was supposed to go. And especially if the developers have a personal stake in it, you know, um, if it's a very you know personal project that they made, how do you help them, the developers, uh, like begin to claw back that narrative and and make sure that the public is engaging with their game, their story on the terms that they really want them to. Because uh, yeah, it is it is easy for one errant tweet to derail a whole thing. So how how do you help shepherd those people? Are you talking about a developer that might say something grossly offensive in an interview and on the record? I would say more like say in the case of a, of a game developer who makes something, you know, that like they themselves are LGBT and uh, a portion of the game's media or community that like you know, there's a Twitter storm somewhere. How do you help a developer uh, navigate a fallout for something that isn't necessarily their fault or, uh, you know, just make sure that they're uh, uh, sticking on a positive message and not uh, stirring a pot unnecessarily Right. So, well, I think the Red Strings Club example is, is a perfect example of that because on one side, 
you, you, you still, when it all settled, when the dust all settled, you did still have some uh, members of the queer community that just blatantly disagreed with the decision to include the dead name in, in that game. Sure. Um, and it didn't matter to them if that person was trans. It didn't matter if that person was, um, you know, it didn't matter. Their intent didn't matter um, because, you know, you're, it, it, what mattered was how it was received by that party. And they were going to they're going to stick to um, their their feeling about it. And I can't fault them for that. Um, how you feel about it is how you feel about it. What offends me may not offend someone else who is also my same age and, and demographic and, and also gay. Um, um, so I, I, for me as a PR person though, you, you just have to accept that you, especially on the internet, right? And especially on social media, you can't please everybody. Um, what you can do is, is, is work to clearly communicate so that you are, um, you're, so that there's no confusion out there about your position or where you stand, and that's something that's very important, um, and that's something that's very hard to do. Um, if communicating clearly was easily, I would not have a job. Yeah, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> and, and and the world would be a much more harmonious place. People, uh, people take understand. it for granted, you know. Uh, it, the, no, they the, do. No, they the, do. There's the joke about um, like if if a social media account you know, makes an error or something. Oops. Uh, that darn social media intern is like, no, it's probably a, an adult who's paid a salary and is part of a very large strategy to, uh, right. to communicate that. Yeah, right. Not- well, that I, I will say that, that, uh, that Austin Walker, who was the editor in chief at the time of, of, of waypoint, um, he's still the editor chief of Waypoint. I think they just focus on the he, podcast. Uh, that- yeah, he, well, he's he's only doing the podcast and he's working on like comics writing and whatnot. So right, I think right, he right. stepped so, back. And, but anyway, at, at the time, I mean, Austin reached out immediately, and 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 there was no animosity toward Danielle. I, I thought her article was fair. Um, I just wished that there could have been like some context in it regarding the um, developer. But again, I I there's just so many sides to it. Um, but Austin did reach out and say, oh, my God, this is someone that was filling in for our social person who's been out this oh, week. Boy. You know, he said, I'm so sorry. I think they ended up deleting the tweet. Um, they issued, like, clarification or, or something had happened. I mean, he, he really was just like, holy shit, I'm so sorry that this happened. Um, but but it, it was it was just very important to me that the the developer involved and the studio involved were able to get their message out um, and, and we did it very, very quickly. Um, we issued it on Twitter, I think that same day, um, that same afternoon. And I said, hey, look, do a, a tweet thread. This is who you are. This is the, the intent. And that's it. People will always interpret art the way they want to interpret art. And all you can do as the artist is make sure that you are not leaving any confusion on the table. And as long as everyone understands that and if you they still wanted to be offended about it um i'm not going to tell them that they're wrong because we all have our different experiences um in our lives especially when we're when it when it comes to queer issues um that i'm not going to tell another gay person that they're wrong for being offended for about something you know you know that that didn't offend me like i said um Mm. but at the same time i will say most of the people that read the tweet it was it was actually it's actually pretty funny because it the the out the mob with the pitchforks and the fire rays that were ready to burn everybody down 
We went, hey, hold on, this is what's going on. The mob then turned around and went over to Waypoint's Twitter feed and was like, what are you guys trying to do? And it was just sort of like, holy shit. And there was, there's, you know, when it all settled down, I mean, most people just said, oh my God, we didn't realize that. That changes everything for us. I mean, the, the, the reaction online, and again, I don't want to be like, oh, everyone was fine with it. Most people were fine with it. There were still... Uh, a portion of people out there that just felt the way they were going to feel about it, even after everything was said and done and explained. And that's fair. And that's fair. If, if that is such an important issue to you that you just don't agree with that decision at all, period, hard stop, I'm not going to tell you you're wrong. Um, and, the, and they're not. So it's just, we all have, this is, this is, a, it's such a nuanced um topic with just a thousand different angles to it um it's just infinitely complicated that there just is no one right answer but but to answer your question short story long um just communicating clearly and 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 trying to be as effective as you can in in your communication is is the key to to all of that i think i i think i would like to hear maybe two or three uh more of these wonderful anecdotes and stories before we wrap up here just because i think that it's it's clear that there are things that you're kind of excited to to share or reminisce on um i, I don't know if we'll be able to get to like all of these but i would love to know what the hell was this uh this atari showcase and the incident <laughs> and, and and what what kinds of crap did you have to learn from that holy shit uh which part <laughs> uh, I, you you left a note. You left a note in. I, yeah. I, want, I, I don't want to spoil it because I want I want people to hear it from you. But oh my Atari gosh, right? Ca- so uh, right, yeah, yeah. Well, there was a couple. There was a couple interesting things about the Atari showcase. First of all, you talk about like the the good old. You know, uh, I don't want to say the good old days, but the way things used to be in the two thousands. I mean, this was like a drunk alcohol fest from day one. We flew a bunch mm-hmm. of press out for an Atari showcase, and um, I think the, the 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 brand manager on, on one of the titles just got so shit can wasted like he spilled his drink all over me like like was just super like just sloppy drunk hitting on me but like i wasn't offended i i i thought it was hilarious because i was just like paul dude you you are blotto right now we're gonna just take you to your room and lay you down buddy it was just it was just a party fest it really was and um and we had rented uh, the four, the top penthouse suites. Like there was like five or six suites on this floor. And we were all um, doing different games in each of the suites. And uh, the morning that we were supposed to do the games presentation. So like we flew everybody out. We did like the pool during the day. We threw this huge party on the roof at night. Everyone's hungover. Everyone's like ready to do the games thing the next day before they fly out to, to go back home. That morning, several things happened. I get to the suite at like 7.45 in the morning and in the main suite for our main game, the baby that we want everyone to love, the bed's messed up. Like no one's sleeping in these rooms, right? These are showcase rooms for the games. But I walked into the room and the the bed was messed up like someone had been in it. Smell like sex, maybe. (laughs) It was gross. There was a condom wrapper on the floor. Oh, dear. (laughs) So I don't actually know who it was. I have no idea. Um, But something had gone down. There was like an empty champagne bottle like behind one of the curtains. So we're kind of like cleaning up the room and I'm like, this is fucking disgusting. Like get housekeeping up here to like, please make the bed. Um, The second thing that happened um, that morning um, was that uh, we're... uh, we're, we've got all the media gathered in that one room. The bed's been made. Um, the sheets have been changed. Um, we've got everybody gathered in that one room. And uh, the the executive that's supposed to come in and, like, welcome everybody 
fucking stumbles into the room with like the number two. I'm not going to name any names, but like hasn't shaved shirts, half untucked. I think there's like lipstick on his collar. He's still drunk. And he comes in and he's like, welcome everybody. Blah, 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 blah. Talks for like a minute. Thanks everybody. And then he just like, I don't know. He left. I don't know where he went. (laughs) I don't know what his role was supposed to be that day, but like me and the PR people were like, holy shit, this is amazing. And I was impressed. Like, I wasn't even mad. I was like, we're in Vegas. What are you going to do? You know? So like, he went- where, where, where does the infamous shoe bomber attack come so in? That's, so that's the third thing, right? So then this, the, the okay. day goes on. We're just about to wrap up. And it's like it's like noon. Uh, we're just about to like wrap up the morning showcase. There's like a couple, couple things left to do before people go to the airport. And then all of a sudden, uh, the someone's like, oh my gosh, we're going to turn on the TV. We turn on the TV, the shoe bomber attack had been that morning and all the airports were closing down. So now I'm stuck in Vegas with 50 members of the press from all over the country. Some had flown in from Europe. All the flights had been grounded and now no one's, no one's getting out of Vegas. And I had tickets to Wicked that night in Los Angeles. And I was like, I am not missing this show. So the minute I saw, like, I read Shoe Bomber Airplane on the, like, CNN ticker. I picked up my phone and I called Hertz and I got the last car for, uh, for, uh, for rental. And I didn't even bother canceling my flight. I knew I wasn't even going to go to the airport. There were people that were already on their way to the airport. God knows how long they must have stayed in the airport. But as soon as I heard that, I was like, I'm getting a car. I got a car. And then me and three other people, I took a couple guys from the media and then I took another PR person with me. We drove, we hightailed it from Vegas back to LA as soon as the event was over. Um, that was the only chance I was going to get to, 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 to see Wicked. Like I had tickets down in Orange County. <laughs> like we were, it was a long drive. Like my girlfriend was going to be waiting for me. Like I was, there was no way I was missing this show. I'd spent so much money on these tickets. Um, but we ended up getting out of, uh, getting out of Vegas. I think there were people there for like a day or so because they were, that was the time that was the, they, they ended up resuming flights, but they ended up not being prepared at TSA for everybody to have to take off their shoes and so that was the day that everybody had to take off their shoes, the, the infamous shoe bomber attack. And, and so now you can't, you can't go through TSA without taking off your shoes. But that was that morning. We were in Vegas at a, at a press event. And uh, everybody just got absolutely screwed out of their, out of their flights home. Except yeah. me. <laughs> I stole a car. Yeah. Uh, crazy. I, 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 I would never put it past you to get the last Hertz car. <laughs> yeah. So it, was, it was cool. Second to last thing here. I, 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 I definitely went to like, make sure we touch on the highlights of your PR career. And I think one of the biggest ones that you've, you mentioned was uh, this Mech Warrior tribute to uh, Sarah yes. Jenner, who was this like five-year-old oh who died from a, a brain cancer, I think, oh. um, or a tumor. I'm going to um, try to talk about this without crying. still makes me tear up. Well, what, um, what did you learn from that experience? Because it, it, it's always fun. Well, it's always interesting to me to see sometimes when a PR person like clearly – clearly they're they're telling me a story about something either personal or like just you know different than the usual like press release of like hey here's some screenshots from the fourth yeah. game in our series you know it's when there's a little bit of emotional investment into it that's always really interesting right so um uh, when I look, when I when I think about the the most memorable things I've worked on in, 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 over the course of my career a few things come to mind and, and one of them is this little girl um the the MechWarrior online community um, 
ended up rallying around one of their players whose daughter was really sick and she, and she ended up unfortunately succumbing to cancer. Um, but the, the community had rallied around this guy and his sick little girl who looked, who used to like to sit on his lap and, and whew, I'm going to, I told you I can't talk about it without crying. Whew, okay. Oh, give boy. me a minute. No problem. No problem. <sighs> okay. I gotta, I gotta channel my, my inner beastie boy. I, I, I watched the uh, the Beastie Boy documentary last night, and they were talking about they were talking about MCA, and he he managed to like talk through crying. It was amazing. Oh, so um, they they rallied around this guy, and and it, it was sort of one of those things in the community where it bubbled up to to catch the attention of the, the community managers, and then and then ultimately the developers at Piranha. And I've worked with Piranha for the last decade on on not only launching uh, MechWarrior Online, but also MechWarrior 5. Um, the team there is is amazing. Russ Bullock is, is just one of the greatest uh, guys I know. He's, he's just so cool. I, I love working with them, and, and I've been lucky to be their, their go-to sort of PR person over the years. Um, but he gave me a call, and he said, hey, you know, so we're we're doing this and and i don't know if if this is you know at all of interest to you but but we are going to uh sarah loved playing the jenner the jenner is a a a type of mech in the game and he said we're gonna make a a skin in mech warrior online that is specifically uh sarah's favorite colors Whew! god it's been years since i've talked about this um i hope i hope people listening like when, when you think of PR people and you're like, oh, they're a bunch of fucking liars. Like, I'm sitting here crying, talking about oh, this. Oh, yeah. Um, Sometimes you're the first person who really gets to figure out. that. I've, I've, I think God. I've told this story before, but like when I, I did a story for Waypoint um, uh, maybe a few years ago that was like, hey, what's the, what's the impact of uh, possibly losing Obamacare? Uh, on the games industry, oh, right, and the, yeah, right, right after Jesus. right after the election, when everyone was like, "Oh shit," uh, right, and I had a a uh, cancer survivors crying to me over the phone, uh, just you know, mortally worried for their for their health, and it's like that was the moment of realization. Oh shit, I have the <coughs> responsibility to tell these people's stories, right, right, uh, accurately and 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 competently, and you gotta feel the same thing as a PR person sometimes. Oh sure. god, well we're all human beings, right? Yeah, so so. This so so Piranha made a skin for 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 this Jenner, and they and they put it on sale on their store, and they said 100% of the proceeds are going to. And I had actually found out about this because in the patch notes, I was like, "What is Sarah's? What is Sarah's Sarah's Jenner? What is this?" And uh, and so I got on the phone with Russ, and he told me about it, and I was like, "Holy shit, that's amazing, you guys! This is incredible." And he says, "Well, I don't know if it's like." newsworthy i don't want to be i don't want to exploit this and i said no absolutely not but you know let's put it on sale and see how it goes and if it's it's a great success i mean i i think that that's you know they were going to donate it to uh the canadian cancer society in sarah's name and no one expected this thing to blow up as as much as it did but it ended up raising something like a hundred something thousand dollars for uh sarah and and i think they ended up um donating it in her name and her dad's name and then they had her dad come to the office so that they could present him the check to give to the the canadian cancer society and and so of course as the pr person i was like this is such a touching story of a community rallying around one of its players in need um and and to really just lift him up and i think that that's something that the outside world often doesn't see about the connection that people that play games together can have with each other is that you can have a network of people that have never met each other, but then do something so extraordinary 
that um, would never just happen in your in your in any other area of your life. You know, just to have hundreds of, of thousands of people donate money by buying this this mech skin, and, and Piranha didn't make any money off this. They donated every single penny to the Canadian Cancer Society. So anyway, uh, I I got to talk to John, her her father, and and his mother, um, and it was just such a shitty thing to go through. And now that I'm a parent, now that I'm a parent of a, of a three year old and an eight month old. Like this, this story just resonates with mm-hmm. me, um, even like even more so today. Um, but I haven't talked about this in years, so I, I apologize for absolutely falling apart talking about this. But I mean, this is uh, when I when I look back at the good that we were able to do, whew, man, it just it just makes it all worth it to me. Mm-hmm. Really, like is is absolute absolute one of my career highlights for sure. For sure, it's it's. You could you could pimp video games all day long and be, and be witty on Twitter, but when when you actually get to affect change in your in yeah. your career and and affect someone's life in such a direct and positive way, you don't forget that you really don't. No, yeah, that's um, that's I, th- I think uh, both both in terms of games media and in games PR, that's there's there's too many people, too many young people, especially coming up saying like, oh, I just want to be you know famous and I want to be like the guy that has 16 million followers on YouTube and everyone cares about my opinion. But it's like, no, nah, you'll feel way better when someone says, hey, thank you for telling my story or thank you for telling that story or or like, hey, your story, th- this thing you made uh, yeah. or helped make. Uh, inspired me to go and do this and I've I've been very fortunate to have a, a small handful of times have that ha- something like that happen to me and it's the it's the quintessential like yep that's uh that's why I'm work I, I still bother to work in an industry like this is because right. uh every once in a while I get to affect a little bit of change but Tell you Man, what, we, we 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 really ran the gamut on this. We went from me talking about getting on Britney Spears's ass to me crying at the end all, of this podcast. We we facilitate all audiences. Here <laughs> we we are a diverse audience with a diverse ideas, and you know what, uh, Steph, I want to thank you for you know spending a lot of time, a lot of time out of your day today, uh, talking to me a little bit about your career. You should honestly, honest to God. Go write a book, please. Uh, oh, in a few years. God. Um, or whenever you decide to retire, if you ever decide to retire. Uh, I think that is a book that like a shit ton of people would want to read. And Seven you know, I, people would read that book outside my immediate family. <laughs> I, I, let's let's end on uh on a ha- on, on a happier note um because i know that of all the the twitter interactions we had kind of setting this up i think people really want to know what the hell was it like to play ping pong with uh with pink while billy was <laughs> uh, cheering you on because that that to me was the god damn it sort of the of... yeah it was, it was sort of the the, the yeah um so the, the one of the weirdest experiences outside the Britney Spears thing uh that happened to me in LA is 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 a friend of mine was friends with someone that was on American Idol and she thought I was cute and wanted to go out and I was like okay kind of not really into you um but I agreed to go out with her she's like my friend's having a barbecue we're gonna we're gonna go out, out for her it's her birthday and I was like okay well it's a day date my other friend will be there like fine let's let's go hang out like she was she wasn't really my cup of tea she was kind of a jerk um but I was like okay we'll, we'll do it and I'm not gonna name names but um she the the friends barbecue ended up being pink and so we roll up in um in like my friend's car to 
Pink's house in LA and you know her names their their names are on the door and I'm just like what the fuck like what am I doing here and um there was just a ton of people there none of whom I knew or even cared about um I'm not like a star fucker I don't I I was never just like ooh celebrities I was never the person jockeying to get proximity to like famous people like I could give a shit but like pink's pretty cool like she's pretty cool i mean she's turned into you know sort of like weird pop star um to like ally advocate um you know just a a tremendous voice for mothers um she and 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 her music is just i mean it's just grown uh, over the years she's she's just a a, she's a celebrated artist for for a reason i mean she's, she's so decorated Grammys and awards and uh, one anyway, of the, so one I, of the so, few pop stars who's managed to kind of like really last, you know. Yeah, t- totally. And 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 for a reason. I mean, there's a lot of substance there. But here I am. I'm I'm at her house. Uh, she welcomes us right on in and and says, "Oh my gosh, you guys have to sign my office wall," and <clears throat> brings us to her office, which is right inside the, the front door. And she says, "I'm still in the process of putting it together," but she hands me a sharpie and she says, "Here, you got to sign my wall. Everyone that comes over signs my wall." And I'm looking at this wall full of like super famous fucking people's signatures and i'm like what do you what what is my name gonna do yeah. on her wall like what what do you write on pink's office wall so you know of course i'm there like as my dj name right so i wrote remember if you catch on fire stop drop and rock and roll uh and then you know i signed like D, you know dj porter tinsley which is my dj name and uh and then i i went in and 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 we we were just sitting around drinking beers it was just afternoon barbecue it was super chill um she had like half pipe in her backyard. Like there's a nice pool, nice little, you know, ping pong table uh, along the side. Anyway, the day goes on. I'm trying, I'm finding it really hard to connect and talk to people at this party because I have such few things in common with any of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know how close they were to her. I don't know who they were. I don't know, you know, and I, and I also don't want to come off as like someone who, um, like, I don't want to be like, uh, like, like just, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I was really self-conscious. Like, I didn't want to be weird. Like, I'm normally a very outgoing person, but I, it was just a very weird day. And I, so I, so I kind of had a couple of drinks, you know? And, uh, I, so I'm standing there and Linda Perry walks up to me and she's got a, she's got a pink, um, she's wearing like a leather jacket. Like, you know, she's Linda fucking Perry. Like she's rock star. She produced Pink's albums. Like she's been around forever. She's like tough as leather too, right? Like I feel like this woman could suplex me into oblivion if I said the wrong thing. <laughs> she's wearing like a pink pick in her hair. It's really weird. And I couldn't tell, but I thought maybe she might have been hitting on me while she was talking to me. And it was making me very uncomfortable um, because she just, she's, she's Linda Perry and um she's the storied you know lesbian in rock and roll actually I don't even know if she's lesbian I think she's lesbian I don't know and um <laughs> and I, I may have just outed Linda Perry I don't know I don't know I don't know I'm a nobody I don't know so the day goes on and it's kind of not really going well with this this girl that I'm supposed to be on a date with because she's sort of like doing she's it's the first time in my life I've ever been out with anyone that was like treating me like the hired help a little bit like she was on a lounge chair and and I kind of was like like I went over to her and I was like hey how's it going she was like hey um didn't look at me she still looked at the person she was talking to but handed me her drink and was like will you go go fill this up for me and I was like no that's not how this is gonna go 
I don't get treated like that by women no. usually <laughs> or anybody. Um, so I never returned with her drink and I just sort of fucked off to the rest of the party. Short story long. Uh, I find myself standing near the ping pong table and I think Corey Hart is Pink's husband's name or partner's name or baby daddy's name. I don't know their relationship. I don't know anything about them. Um, anyway, he's telling his friend, they're talking a bunch of shit to, to, to Pink. I think her name's Alicia. I don't know. He's like, Hey, you know, you, you know, I'm going to kick your ass in ping pong. And so she grabs me. I'm the closest person nearby. And she's like, come on, we're going to kick their ass. Girls against boys. And I was like, yeah, this is weird. So we play a full two rounds of ping pong. Um, and everyone is wasted at this point. Um, and at one point it's like, th- like 11 to 13. We're down a couple points. We need to score some points. She grabs me by the back of my, back of my head and she puts her forehead on mine. And she goes, we should just throw each other on the ping pong table, make out and distract them right now. And I was like, no, <laughs> I think that's exactly how I said it too, because I thought, first of all, her boyfriend would kill me. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, that's not my role here. Like I, as much as I would have been like, hell yeah. At any other time, I, um, it scared me. I think, um, it, it just really put me on the spot. I was very, very nervous. And that's, um, that's really unusual for me to say, because back in those days, um, I was very much like, pew, 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 finger gun. Hey ladies. Yeah. Um, it was a different person back then, but so I was like, no, I don't think we should do that. And then she, so then like, she, you know, she just like went back to like playing ping pong. And then I, and then I just, it's just one of those moments in your life where you just sort of look around, like, did pink really just ask to make out with me? But like she did, but like not really. Right. And then I turned and I looked and, uh, Billy Idol is standing next to Linda Perry and they are, the keg is right there by the side of the pool table and they're each taking turns doing the wave, which basically just means they were throwing their hands up in the air in yeah. tandem. And they were like, Hey, come on. And I, like Billy was cheering for the guys and Linda was cheering for us. And I was like, this is going to be the, the weirdest, most surreal story that I will tell for the rest of my life. And it's been a number of years and I'm, and here I am on a podcast telling the story. Uh, the time I played ping pong with pink and, uh, Linda Perry and Billy Idol were doing the wave uh, cheering us on. It was so strange. And no shit, no shit. Billy Idol, as old as he was, as old as he is now, I don't even know if he's still alive, but as old as he is now, um, he was still like sort of up there back then. Mm. And this is like, you know, mid to late 2000s. And uh, he was wearing a leather jacket. He was wearing the Billy Idol leather jacket and his hair was spiked. He looked like Billy Idol. It wasn't even just like Billy Idol in his off days, like on the weekends where he's like wearing a t-shirt and khakis. No, he was Billy Idol in it's the not leather dad jacket. Billy Idol. It's, no, it's it wasn't Billy Dad Billy Idol. Idol. Yeah. No, it's, it was, uh, so that was the, one of the most surreal, surreal moments of my DJ career. Yeah. Uh, which is uh, the whole reason I was there is because I was like this DJ that this like American Idol like wanted to go out on a date with. And man, she sucked. She was a jerk. <laughs> I never saw her after that. And then she yelled at me over the phone. For, uh, for like using her to go to Pink's birthday party. And I was like, hold up, lady. Hold up. No. I didn't even know. I didn't even know. Like, like I didn't want to, I didn't like make out with her pong, at the end of the night. Yeah. I was like, hold up, lady. I didn't even know where we were going until you picked me up that day. Like, 
Yeah. Don't don't do that to me. Like I'm not that person. Like don't make me feel like I'm that person. I'm not that person. I've never been that person. But like, yeah. So some of the, just the weird adventures I had while I was um, sort of living that DJ double F persona. Um, that's that's probably like that and the Britney the Britney one are very very strange. But yeah. I, you know, I, I, we're obviously going to have to follow up on this discussion uh, whenever the next GDC breakfast ends up being. Obviously not this year, uh, but I I. No, I know that there are a million more stories we could dive into, but we'll save those for another episode. And yeah, uh, for sure, I, for sure. I, I, I think that that you, we don't have too many repeat guests on this <laughs> show, but Stephanie Tinsley is sure as shit gonna be one of them if we can uh, make that happen in the future. And uh, Stephanie, again, like th- this has been. Uh, I, I knew coming in that this would be an episode where we just jump from Britney Spears' ass to you know. A, a, <laughs> To crying. me crying. Yeah, yeah no, to totally. Back, back to oh. ping, ping pong, but. Oh, man. Uh, when I, I sent I, you, when I, when I sent you those notes, sorry to interrupt you, but when I sent you those notes yesterday about Sarah, I was like, if he asks me about this, I will not cry. make it through this story without no. crying. Yeah. So I knew what I was getting into. Thanks for going on that journey with me. Um, yeah. Anyway, sorry. Hey, sorry. I, and and it's been a lovely time. Thank you for having me on. That took a, it took minimal work to make my guests cry, which is all I can ask. So <laughs> for good podcast content. And, you know, so uh, we're wrapping up here. Where can people find you and your work and uh, if or if they just want to keep up with the wild, crazy adventures of Stephanie Tinsley and PR? I have a very obnoxious Twitter handle at Agent Tinsley, T-I-N-S-L-E-Y, Agent Tinsley. And you can follow me there. Uh, you can get all the latest updates about the coolest games in the industry because my clients are the best. Mm-hmm. And folks, you can find the 1099 podcast on Twitter at the 1099 podcast, or just find me at Joseph Noop. That's J O S E P H K N O O P. Uh, make sure to review the show. Let us know what you think. Let Stephanie know what you thought of her stories, uh, and let be sure to let us know if you'd like to see her back in the future. Of course, you know I don't give a shit if no one tweets that. I'm going to have her back in the future. But, <laughs> well, uh, if if you do if you do have me back for part two, I will tell you about the time I event produced a porn premiere in Hollywood. Oh my god (laughs) (laughs) all right folks stay safe out there we will see you next time on the 1099 got a couple of cool game devs uh interviews talking about stuff like yes your grace coming up and it'll be a good time and yeah i will be up in the bay area shortly so if any of you guys live out there please do sure to give me a shout out there and folks stay safe stay merry bye-bye